Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. My guest is Michael Markovitz, who is head of the Gibbs Media Leadership Think Tank head. And of course, he is also the former or one of the former SABC board members. Now, if you have been reading some of my analysis pieces of late, I have been concerned with many things in the country, but one of them being the fact that the SABC currently does not have a board. It is a big deal because of the democratic role the SABC plays in our country as a public broadcaster. And from a constitutional point of view, it is a big deal when the president fails to confirm names sent by parliament after parliament had undergo a parliamentary process by which to choose the next board of an important state-owned entity. And I thought that we need to stay with the issue because the problem has not been solved for so much so that there's now litigation going on that had been initiated by Media Monitoring Africa to try and compel the president to do the right thing. I have, for the record, invited the presidency to represent the president and articulate why it is they've been so tardy and they've declined being part of this conversation. It's not going to stop me as an analyst and as a podcaster from describing how I interpret the events. And of course, the president is most welcome to have a right of reply should they wish to after hearing this conversation. Why does Michael matter? Well, not just as someone who understands the media generally, but specifically someone who also understands the role of the board. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people zone, their children must know this are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Michael, thanks so much for joining us and thanks for agreeing to come on. Thank you for inviting me, CBS. It's interesting to me that the public doesn't really including aspects of the media, some of my fellow commentators, workers within the media, don't seem to get really upset about this lack of an SABC board. And I suspect one of the many reasons is, besides the fact that the news cycle is busy, people just don't get what the stakes truly, truly are. Can we start with the fundamentals? Before we get to the role of the board, how would you explain the criticality of the public broadcaster in relation to the media generally and to democracy specifically? Okay, you see this. Well, it's quite a tough question, but I'll give it, I'll give it a bash. I mean, firstly, the SABC is public. I call it public media. I like to sort of move away from broadcasting because the SABC is also a player um, over, over on, on, on streaming, on online. So, but if we look at public media, and if you start from the position that, you know, not the private sector should not own all, 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 all media, and some media should be publicly owned, you have to ask, well, why is that the case? 
Why is it the case? Is that because the market does not provide everything that a public mandate uh, sets down. For instance, the SABC is the only broadcaster to broadcast in all official languages across 19 radio stations to over 30 million people every day. The SABC, and a lot of people don't realize this, is the second biggest online news source in the country after News 24. So it's not just a fuddy-duddy old public broadcaster. It's the second biggest online news source if you, if you aggregate its YouTube, its streaming, its apps, etc. It has reached like no other. Yes, TV audiences are declining. That's a separate debate. But it has an incredible reach, and it has a very, very onerous, strong, and important public mandate. And lastly, you see, because I think maybe people only really look at the SABC during elections. Now, let's look at elections over the last board's term. There was an election in 2019 and an election in 2021. There was no major complaint about the SABC's coverage. And I would argue that's because they had, we had an independent board at the time. I'm glad we started there with the fundamentals because you've said a couple of things that are important to me, even as someone who's been on top of the story, that although we talk about the SABC qua broadcaster, it is really public media, and that's a hell of a lot more products than just S1, 2, and 3. That's correct. And secondly, I'm glad that you've added data, at least one friendly person on my Facebook page after my article said, I get your critique and I like it. And I think it's important to hold the president accountable for being tardy. I wonder whether it's empirically true that millions of people still rely on the SABC as a chief source of information, because after all, we're all digital natives. And if I understand you correctly from the evidence you've just cited, while it is true that increasingly penetration levels of smart devices, for example, will only ever increase and data becomes cheaper, it does not follow from the fact that you and I can quickly have a fight on Twitter that the SABC's role from a public media point of view should be under-described. The stakes are very high. I would agree with that, Eusebius, and I often get taken on, on, on Twitter and I've tried even during my board term to be as accessible and, and debate the issues as possible because you often get this from a South African that it doesn't affect me. I don't watch it. And you can almost see the demographic of Twitter creating its own kind of bias and echo chamber, maybe a lot more data rich, and they don't rely on the SEDC. But I think that's a very kind of privileged, myopic position to say, well, because I don't rely on it, therefore no one relies on it. And that is just factually incorrect. As I said, as a radio operator, it's the biggest radio operator in, 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 the, in the country by far, yeah. uh, reaching people all over the country in all the languages. So it, it's certainly not true to say it doesn't matter and it doesn't count. Mm. Um, and I think that can be settled easily on, on, on a factual basis. The role of the board is fascinating. I had a sense intuitively of, of what it was. But when I read the actual papers that had been filed, including the affidavit that you had opposed to, I got a far more granular understanding of what the legislative and therefore the practical role of the board is. And that was really interesting. Now, we could spend an entire workshop around that. But in as lucid a manner as possible, can you take one or two minutes and just quite literally list and explain to my listeners what it is that the board actually does? Because sometimes people think, ah, being a board member is like one of those things where you just get passive income. Well, 
Uh, that's certainly not the case with the SABC board. Um, first thing you want us to look at, and I think we'll obviously get into process issues later, but the fact that there is a very set out process in the law and how the board gets appointed means that Parliament, in its own wisdom, decided that it was important to have an independent SABC board because it was such an important institution. Why would it go to so much trouble? So that's the first point. The second point is what does the board do and what does it have responsibility for? I'd really like to group it into sort of three areas. You see this, I'd say financial, policy, and strategy. On the finance side, we mm. really are governed by the Public Finance Management Act, like all other publicly owned entities. Uh, the board has to approve a corporate plan before the end of the financial year. It approves uh, finances. It approves budgets. And it has to hold management accountable for these budgets and for their, their business plans. And just by the way, I've mm. heard that from our C, uh, I still say our, from the SEBC's CEO in Parliament a couple of weeks ago, saying there were 20 business plans waiting for approval. So on the finance side, the SEBC is already in breach of the PFMA because it has not been able to approve a corporate plan before the end of the financial year, which is the 31st of March, and only a board can do that. So that's number one on the finance side. Number two on the policy side. I, I, I like to use the example of the editorial policies, which the board approved in 2020. Uh, we were very proud of them. We think they're some of the most thorough editorial policies in the, in, in the world in terms of public broadcasting. It created the position of an editor-in-chief, most importantly, giving that editor-in-chief sole editorial control over editorial decisions and no uh, upward referral to the CEO. Every single other policy is, is approved by the board. And I mean, I won't bore you with the detail, but there are many of them. And then the third issue you see, and maybe something that is missed often, is strategy. Do we launch a channel in indigenous languages? Don't we? What area of the market should we target? What kind of content should we be uh, uh, commissioning? And there's a range of decisions. And that's why I, I was quite concerned when I heard this discussion about SABC is going to launch an indigenous language television news channel. Now, conceptually, I think it's a great idea. How are they planning to do that without a board in place? And it made me concerned that the first I heard from this was the minister saying, I would like an indigenous language uh, news channel to be set up by the SABC, but I won't say anything until the new board comes into place. And lo and behold, a few weeks later, the management announces the launch of a, of, a, of a channel saying, well, they didn't really need board approval. And I'm just giving that as an example. This policy, strategy, and financial, in a nutshell, and these are not just quarterly. I mean, I've been on boards where we really only meet quarterly. The SABC is not one of them. It's a fast-moving business with lots of different parts, lots of governance issues, and often we have to meet more than more than a few times a year. And just mm. sorry, you see, because I still say we after five years, it's very difficult to, to, <laughs> to, to, to lose that. That's excellent. And thank you for delineating those three parts, broadly, thematically, financial, the policy and the strategic. One of the many detailed elements coming out of what you have so lucidly summarized for us in a way that is accessible without losing us in the detail is of course also accountability. Because although your role is not the day-to-day -day running of the SABC, otherwise there'd be a fusion between 
management and the board, which we also don't want. Nevertheless, if you are the group CEO, for example, or a COO of any company, you can't just do your own thing and be responsible both for strategy and also then for executing that strategy with no one holding you accountable. Can you also explain then to the public what your accountability role is? Because I found it weird, and maybe this is a separate question, but you can also speak into it, or we can come back to it after you talk about the accountability piece. I just find it weird that the Minister of Communications can say to someone in management, the CEO, I hereby deem you to be the board of the SABC, when I thought the legislation required the board to be part of the appointing process of the next group CEO, presumably because you need to give them KPAs and hold them accountable. But this lacuna, this gap that we're experiencing, i.e. a period without a board, the minister who is responsible as the shareholder minister for the SBC seems to have this bizarre idea that the solution for how to fill that gap in the interim is for a senior management holder to just act as the board. Why is that regulatory and practical nonsense? Well, you see this, let me deal with that straight straight up. Firstly, the what government did, and this is this is National Treasury actually that does it together with the Minister of Communication, because they're trying to derive a power from the Public Finance Management Act. Now, what your listeners should realize. And it is a bit complex. There's a number of different statutes that regulate the SABC at the same time. So as I said earlier, as a public entity, it's regulated by the Public Finance Management Act, and that's your annual reports and all of your Auditor General oversight, and all of those types of things apply to the SABC as they should. However, there's a provision in, in the Act which allows for government or the minister to appoint an accounting authority, i.e. a board, in exceptional circumstances. So they've dived into mm. that statute to derive a power that's in sheer, in straightforward conflict with where the Broadcasting Act. So the Broadcasting Act is SABC's founding statute. In that statute, it sets out in detail how the board should be appointed. There is no mention there of a situation where there's no board, you see. Because, I mean, this is the interesting thing. We have a situation where there's no board for five months. The legislature never envisaged that itself would be responsible for not appointing a board. So there is a real lacuna. So what did government decide to do? They thought, well, okay, well, let's go to the PFMA. And the PFMA allows us to appoint the accounting officer, i.e. the CEO, as the accounting authority. Let's just do that. Right, But what they hadn't figured on is that it's unlawful because the Broadcasting Act takes precedence over the PFMA when it comes to the appointment of a board. Number, that's number one. Number two is I was very pleased to see in SCOPA when SABC executives through no fault of their own were being slammed really for arriving without a board if, they, if somehow they were responsible for it. The CEO was asked, why did he not accept that designation? Why is he here? Why did he accept the board's powers? And thankfully, I was pleased to see that the SABC CEO was well advised that it would have been unlawful for him to have accepted 
the powers of the board. Just think yeah. practically, you see this. They've approved as extra 20 business plans for the board's approval. Now, the CEO is part of that extra that approved the business plan. He cannot be then suddenly on the other side of the table approving a business plan that his own extra had sent him. It's just a nonsense. Yeah. So he did not accept that. It's unlawful. <laughs> and thankfully, I mm. hope that they've taken no decisions on that basis. So, yes, there have been attempts for, for them to try and patch up this, this governance lacuna, this, this interregnum that has been caused by the yes. failure of the state to appoint the board. Mm. Yeah, and as you've, you've covered what I was going to ask you to needle them with a little bit, is that besides being unlawful on a plain reading of the relevant sources of law and regulatory frameworks, it's also just impractical. Because now the guy's got to say, okay, you know, I hereby speak as CEO. Just give me five minutes. I'm going to go out. And when I come back in, I'm going to be pretending to be the board. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, it's a practical absurdity, yeah, absolutely. Which, which doesn't make sense at all. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to move on to, to two final bits of explanation, because this is really an explainer piece. And I hope that my readership and my listeners and fellow journalists will appreciate the gravity having listened to your, your explanation. If I understand the three broad areas, the financial policy strategic roles of the board, plus the accountability element that cuts across it in relation to the management of the SABC, then it seems to me that there are at least two consequences here. And I want you to tell me whether you agree, flesh it out and add anything that I might have missed out. Quite literally, it is poor governance then to not have a board in place because we're talking here about decisions, business plans that could result in millions and millions and millions of rands being spent, taxpayer money, where you may not have optimal processes in place in terms of oversight. And then a second dangerous consequence, which really takes us back to the Schlaudi years, is if you do not have a rigorously independent board keeping tabs of, for example, faithful compliance to the letter and spirit of an editorial policy, which is just one element of policy, then you could have leakage in terms of the quality of the, the work being done by workers at the SABC, and that can negatively affect the deliberative and participatory models of democracy that the SABC is meant to prop up. That, that, that's correct, you see this, but I actually think it's even more serious than that. I think the SABC is potentially on the verge of financial collapse, and I'm not being alarmist. I'm basing, and I base my affidavit at the Concord on what I knew at the 15th of October, 2022, when we signed off on a handover report. Yes, we knew then that there would be no board coming in, but we genuinely thought bona fide it would be a couple of weeks delay. We thought that this, this surely... So to be sitting here nearly five on Wednesday, it'll be five months, that there's no accounting authority. And we knew how precarious the situation was on the 15th of October. It's not difficult to speculate that the situation is worse. Now, that's number one. Number two is the Auditor General opine in the annual report tabled in Parliament. I'm very worried about the SBC as a going concern. 
The board also said, we worry about it as a going concern, but we can, on the basis of what we know, say we should be okay until March 2023. But the board made that observation, you see, yes, on the basis that there would be a board for the full 12 months of the financial year. Mm. If we had known at that time that there would be a board, no board for five months, obviously we could never know, and I'm just doing it as a, as a counterfactual, we might not have been able to give that assurance of a going concern for the mm. next 12 months. So, so I'm sitting here saying I'm very concerned that the mm. public broadcaster could be close to insolvent. And what mm. you could have is a board coming in Suddenly, they've got personal liability as directors mm. for a, for an organisation that is on its financial last leg. So that's a that's a concern of mine. The second thing is about the independence. I would say that a board is a necessary, but not an independent board is a necessary, but not a sufficient con condition of an independent SBC news operation. If you don't mm. have an independent board, you can probably guarantee you're going to. It's very difficult to have an independent SBC news. But if you do have an independent board, you have a good chance because the board then acts as an umbrella to stop mm. the political rain from hitting the journalists below. Mm. And that's really how I would characterize it. It really is mm. the one that should catch the flag and, and, and protect the independence of journalists. So I see it from two consequences at the moment. You see, because I'm yeah. very worried about the future stability of the SABC. To just have five months where you they're treading water when they're already in trouble is a concern. And, and secondly, and I'm not being alarmist, you know, we cannot ignore the fact mm. that 2024, okay, is a major election in South African political life and post-democratic history. It's a major election. Now, we can't ignore the fact that not only has there been a sort of what I've called publicly a reckless disregard for the obligations mm. to fill these positions timelessly. But we've seen evidence that there's actually been an attempt to interfere with the process mm. quite, I would say, ham-fistedly, because the letter mm. that we, we were seeing is that the, the minister wrote to the parliamentary committee was after parliament had approved uh, the former head of news, Ms. Magopeni. So I'm not, I'm not sure what the thinking was there, but I'm just trying to make the point that I think that after someone who came to be on a board for five years, post-Lardy, saw the damage of a captured SABC. I'm not saying the SABC is captured now. I'm not saying it's going to be captured. But I'm saying if you don't have a governance structure in Absolutely. place, you stand yeah. that chance of it happening again. We've seen the movie before. We have to be vigilant. We say it with every election, but empirically, I think it's more true than before. This is going to be the most important election since 1994. It is curious, if you've read the Sunday Times today, that the former minister had raised questions about Patiswa, Magopeni's recommended name to be on that list, when she was the one who had been chided by an overzealous Fikile Mbalula when they did poorly in the last local elections. And so you'd have to be a fool to not appreciate the real politic that seems to be covering the president's tardiness confirming these names. And I think it's right that you are contextualized yet. And it sets me up with the final question, which I will do as a self-standing different podcast over the next two days, because that's to go to the legal questions. And we've covered the fundamentals in terms of 101, understanding why the SABC matters, 
as public media, not just a broadcaster. And then you have spoken in detail lucidly to the specific role of the board. But let's set the foundation for what will be part two that I hope to do with someone from Media Monitoring Africa, possibly William Bird if he's available. I find the argument so far from the president really bizarre to try and justify why they've been tardy. And essentially, it shifts. First, there's inaction, which clearly is the equivalent, at least this is how I would frame it, of filibustering, a kind of practical vetoing of what parliament has done that is deeply anti-democratic for someone who was involved in the negotiations of this constitution. Secondly, they then get the letter from Media Monitoring Africa initiating legal action. So they've got to scramble for a putative explanation of why the president has been tardy. And they basically say, listen, it's been busy. It's only been a couple of months, a couple of weeks. It's not that long. How long is a piece of string? But at any rate, and then I switch on the news the one day on my way to Linden to a restaurant, Michael, and I hear this almost like aha moment that clearly the presidency's lawyers must have been so chuffed to stumble upon a, what one would call in pretentious Latin, post facto justification, after the fact justification. And then they say, well, the speaker says to the committee, you've been naughty. You gave the president 12 names plus three extra. The president doesn't like having so many choices because he's such a good Democrat, he doesn't want to be able to like decide who should be the 12. So you didn't restrict him, you gave him choices. And because he likes what William Byrd has argued, you therefore are making him feel come across badly in the eyes of William Byrd and the rest of the commentariat. Please take away three names so that we can make sure he only has 12. And I, I actually laughed out loud nerdishly to myself. Because I thought to myself, I can see the game being played here. The lawyers needing to find legal justification for the president being delinquent are now going to pretend that the subcommittee in parliament has in fact been the ones that ultimately are responsible for why there's been a delay. How are you reading this ridiculous lawfare that is playing out? You know, CBS, uh, I'll probably need an hour to tell you how I'm feeling, but let me try and summarize it. <laughs> First of all, I think this is almost what they call self-help, where he's, he's trying to have his cake and eat it. When the SABC, when the names were sent to him on the 20th of December, we, there already was no board for two months. So there's not a normal situation where the president can say, I'm meeting dignitaries, etc. Of course he is. But the <clears> fact <throat> is there's already urgency. We hear nothing until January. And then the president spokesman, Mr. Maguena, says, oh, actually, it was because the government printers were closed. We couldn't gazette. So the impression was given quite disingenuously. They were about to appoint. They're just the government printers. Then we heard there were legal issues, and then we heard there were objections. Now we know there were other objections that, you know, weren't in the public domain. But what I'm really saying is, you see, this is, and you'll know this from the Judicial Service Commission, the language in the Act is the same language as the president has to deal with in terms of the appointment of high court judges on the advice of the JC or on the advice of the National Assembly, you must appoint. When the JSC recommends 
uh, judges for two high court vacancies. They don't send four names because the president has no discretion. Similarly, with the SEDC, there are 12 vacancies. The president got 12 names plus three. A decisive approach would have been, I've been given unlawful instruction on the three. I'm going to disregard that in the interest of the public broadcaster. I'm going to go ahead and appoint those 12, over which I have no discretion, except appoint the chair and the deputy chair. I find it very disingenuous to say, I need them to go back and what what does he need? Parliament to redo the resolution? How long is that going to take and what is the damage? So I'm not convinced. I still believe that the litigation is worthwhile. I think that it was very, very admirable for civil society to step in the breach because I must just say the opposition parties have been asleep at the wheel on this, all of them. Surprisingly so, when you think about the political stakes of the SABC going into 2024, it's really surprising. Absolutely. The same with media houses, that you have effectively Media Monitoring Africa being the ones um, spearheading this, really, really surprising. But like you say, maybe there's an opportunity here for the obvious to be clarified in law, that when it says, on the advice of parliament, you must, the must must be read as a strict obligation that doesn't give you any discretionary power. And that the analogy is with the appointment of ordinary judges rather than with, for example, a vacancy at the Concord where you have extra names and you can decide which ones out of a list you want to choose. I think the president knows this anyway. I think he's being utterly insincere. But maybe the one thing that might come out of the litigation and you can have the final say is for that to be stated plainly And then any ambiguity, not that there was any, but any alleged ambiguity can then be out of the picture. Well, I would be very happy if the Concord confirmed what has already been decided in the High Court of of Kauteng by Justice uh, Motajani, who's now in the Appellate Division, where he found very emphatically that the President had no discretion whatsoever with regard to the Twelve. It's not binding on the Concord, obviously, but I would think it'd be very, very useful for the Concord to approve that as a precedent at the constitutional level. So we don't don't have to go through this shambolic situation ever again. Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for continuing to do good work, even after the formal expiring of the board and for articulating everything so clearly. And to you, my listeners, thanks for listening to the entire conversation. I really hope that not only do you understand better the role of the board, but that the subtext of, and maybe I've been a little bit scolding you and my colleagues as well in the process, but I do so from a sincere fear that we are deprioritizing what really should be a story that should be far higher up on editors' notes, that the stakes are so high and the general question of what a president can and can't do in relation to parliament. For those of you who are interested in democratic theory, the doctrine of separation of powers, that there is a subversion here of the unique role that parliament itself plays that can ultimately generalize to other aspects where parliament make recommendations, where the executive should not have discretion over how it responds. So there's a general principle at stake here, and that's apart from the particular story related to the SABC and its role in society. Michael, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, CBS.